Hello and welcome to Central's podcast. We pray your heart is touched through listening and that it helps you in your walk with Jesus. Today's message is from Pastor Kurt. Be blessed as you hear this testimony too. We're going to ha- invite Josiah Andriola to come and join me here this morning. Josiah is the oldest child of Pastor Tony and Jamie, and he went with us this past weekend to winter retreat up at our Pendel camp, which is near Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Just a couple updates on our youth ministry. In the last four months, we've just seen some really awesome things. We've had three students give their hearts to Jesus. One was filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we've had several healings, both physical and emotional. And I just want to give honor and praise to the Lord in that. So Josiah is one of our physical healings, and he's going to share what happened right before retreat, just days before retreat, explain what happened that kind of bummed you out right as we were getting ready to leave. So I was playing soccer, and I, like, twisted my ankle really bad. And I had something called a bone contusion, which means my bones got bruised. And I needed to wear this walking boot for about, like, three weeks. And at winter retreat, we were all messing around, and some guy knocked me over. And I smacked my ankle off the floor, and my pain increasingly uh, got worse. Yes. So his pain got really bad, and where he was just walking in the boot alone... That evening, he needed not only his boot, but the crutches that he had brought with him as well. And I had asked him, I said, Josiah, he wasn't at service yet, so the nurse that came contacted me and found Josiah... What, what level is your pain? And your pain level was a, at a what? A nine. A nine out of ten. So he was really, he was in tears. He was frustrated. He was just not feeling his best. And so we were going to service that night. And so, Josiah, can you tell us how you were feeling just overall that night in service? Just, just what were you feeling? Just uh, I was feeling really discouraged, yeah. and I was, like, really upset. Upset, yeah. So I had asked Josiah, I was like, hey, do you want to come down front at all? I'll sit with you. Do you want to come down for worship? And he was like, nah, just just feeling that discouragement. How many of you have felt that before physically in your body? We're just discouraged, right? So service moves on, and there's a time of prayer for the kids. And I had looked back to Josiah to say, hey, do you want to come down or I'll come back to you? And he just kind of shrugged his shoulders. 30 seconds later, one of the other youth pastors was praying over Josiah. And so the kids and I, we all noticed, and we rush over to Josiah, lay hands on him. They had anointed him with oil. And we begin praying for Josiah. So tell us, as we prayed over you, what were you feeling? Um, I didn't really feel anything specific. It just, just felt the pain leave my body, and there was just nothing there. There was nothing there. So the pain was gone. So as we prayed over you, were you doubtful at all? What were you thinking? What was going through your head? Uh, I wasn't doubtful at all. I was uh, happy, and I wanted him to heal me. So, And you knew he could do it, right? And one, one thing when Josiah and I were talking this past week as what he was thinking is what is really cool about miracles is that we believe for it, and then when, we hap- when they happen, we say, I can't believe it, <laughs> Right? Like, we believe and we have faith in Jesus to do it, and then it happens, and we're almost just astounded. And I just love what what happened. It was just amazing that his friends all around him were just 
they were just so excited. They were jumping around, and it reminded me of the paralytic in the Bible who was lowered through the ceiling to Jesus by his friends. And their faith was so high to say, I will bring my friend to the Lord, to the Savior. And they were just so excited, hugging each other. And I was like, don't tackle him again. <laughs> so, you're right, he was already healed. So tell me about what you felt in the room that night. The presence of the Lord was definitely significant. I felt like God's presence and power was like all over the room. There was other healings too, but it was like ve- his presence was very overwhelming to me. Uh, and it was very powerful and undeniable. Amen. Undeniable. I love that word. When Josiah explained it, he, the Lord's presence was undeniable. Undeniable. So you'll see in the video here, it was very late at night, and we wanted to FaceTime. Thank God for technology. We wanted to FaceTime Pastor Tony and Jamie, who were actually in two separate locations because Pastor Tony was ministering to another um, children's event. And so we call them, and just the excitement again of the kids. And Josiah only came with one shoe to camp because he was wearing the boots. So you'll see him in the video. He's walking around in his socks. So thank God for good friends who let him borrow shoes and stink up their shoes and stuff. So this was an awesome thing. And we just I just want to see if you have a pain in your body this morning, you lift your hand. And Josiah is going to pray that the same healing power that he had that you will find today in your body. So Josiah, go for it. We pray. Lord, I pray for these people right now, Lord. I thank you for healing me, Lord, and I just pray that you would heal them like you healed me, Lord. Yes, God. Lord, I pray that you would just give them yes, faith Jesus. to yes, be healed, Lord. Lord, and I just pray that whatever is going on in their bodies, Lord, yes, you would get rid of Lord. it, Lord. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, let it be done. Amen and amen. Josiah, one last question. Have you had any pain since? No pain whatsoever. All right. Amen. Amen. Let's get this thing bronzed. Should we get it bronzed? Yeah. Proud of you. Thanks, buddy. One thing to keep in prayer as we're moving forward is we did post the uh, job description for our youth pastor just this past week. So if you could please keep us in prayer as we move forward, praying and believing for God's best for our youth ministry. And now, Kurt Jenkins. I was thinking the angel of... Angela family should ask for a uh, refund from the insurance company. He was supposed to have that boot on for three weeks and you wore it for three days and God healed you. So come on, refund. (laughs) Hey, I'm excited starting next Sunday. uh, We're going to begin learning how to live a life of overflow through the gospel of John. We talked about it a little bit last week and you'll hear more uh, in a video that we'll send out this week. We are going to spend 10 months from February all the way through the end of November preaching through each chapter of John section by section. It is not like an evening class where somebody would teach verse by verse, but we're going to take section by section. So if you're in your, you know, if you're in your Bible, you'll usually see like headings that are inserted in between the verses. We're going to take each of those sections and preach through the theme of it, what some of the kingdom principles are uh, through this. We'll break them up into different series uh, throughout each of the months, but we believe that as we focus uh, on this one gospel together as a church family, and as you focus individually, that the Lord's going to do some really cool things. I love it too that the children's ministry will be preaching Side by side. So whatever's being, whatever specific verses are being preached on up here on a Sunday, uh, everybody on this campus on a Sunday will also get it. So the children's ministry and super church will also be preaching on those passages as well. It might have a little bit different of a flavor to it, but 
All in all, it'll have the same uh, overall message, and then there'll be some resources that we give you along the way as parents to help continue to educate and disciple your kids. As adults, what we want to do is give you two areas to focus on throughout the week. So we want to spend the first couple of days of each week looking back. We want you to ask the same two questions every single week. Is what was my main takeaway from the message, and how am I going to obey it this week? If you don't obey the word and you're just a hearer of it, you just get clogged with a bunch of information and you don't let it transform your life. So every single message you hear, whether it's here live or it's on a podcast or something that you read, you should see from the Lord, what is my big takeaway and how can I obey it? And then uh, Tuesday of each week, we are going to send out what we call Bible focus and a prayer focus. The Bible focus is going to be the specific passages that we will be preaching on the week coming up. Very rarely does a church family know what specific passages and verses will be preached on. So for the next 10 months, other than some guest speakers and some holidays, you will know what passages we are preaching on. And what we want you to do is read those passages a few times that week. Ask Holy Spirit to start to teach you and give you revelation of what it is. And then our Sunday messages will really just be the icing on the top. You won't come in with no knowledge of things, but you'll already have several days of the Lord speaking to you about that. We'll have a process on our website uh, called the Bible Discovery Process. It's used internationally as a discipleship tool of asking the same questions over and over again as the Lord teaches you his word. The prayer focus is simply going to come from the verses that we will be preaching on. So just picture this. If we had literally 100% of our church family praying the same thing, these la- the, the days leading up to a Sunday, reading the same thing, prayed out, Holy Spirit already teaching us, I believe he will do great, great things in our church family. Do you believe that? Amen. So we want you to participate. We're going to have an entire resource page uh, live for next Sunday. We're going to do some things on Facebook Live to create some engagement, and we'll keep you posted along the way. All right, so how many of you liked riding bikes as a young kid, or maybe you still ride them now? Any hands? Yeah, a lot of people. All right. When I was growing up, I used to like the BMX bike. So it had the mag wheels and the pegs on the back. You could stand on the back and, you know, fly down big hills. I hope you don't get hit by a car and all that fun stuff. But um, I love going to the BMX track too. Any of you in South Park near you? Yeah, a couple of hands that have been there. So it's just, it's a BMX track with jumps and stuff. You catch some air and act like you're a pro racer, even though you're really not. But uh, leading up to uh, my teenage years, I had several of these BMX bikes, and my parents would, all, would give them to me for Christmas or my birthday, and they would always come assembled. Well, when I was in high school, I wanted to advance to a mountain bike, and I bought it with my own money. Because it was my own money at that time, I wanted to save some money. So I did not get this bike assembled. I saved my 50 or 100 bucks. I remember in high school having like hundreds, it seemed like thousands of pieces spread out all over my living room. Not for like days, but like literally, it seemed like for weeks it was there. It was not an easy process. It was messy, and I'm trying to figure out how to put this together. I'm not good with instructions. It's always like, you know, stick part A-A-A-E into piece 45762. And you're like, how many 45762s do I need? 32 of them. Okay, they look the same. I mean, there's pieces scattered everywhere. So thank the good Lord above, it comes with an instruction book, right? It comes with a manual that teaches you how to put this together. So over weeks at a time, I was able to figure out how to put this thing together. Now with the instructions, it gave me confidence that as I was riding the bike, you know, a wheel wasn't going to fall off or a brake wasn't, a brake pad wasn't going to fly off or anything, but it gave me confidence that the bike was going to stay together. 
The good thing is the second half of the instruction manual actually taught you how to operate the bike. It taught you how the bike functioned. So it was the first time I had uh, 10 speed. So it taught you how to change gears on each side and what the road conditions would be like and if it was wet or dry or flat or a hill. And in all these things, it taught you how the bike functions. I want you to think about this in life. How many of you know we need instructions? We need a written manual that teaches us how God functions, right? We're not smart enough to just figure this out on our own. Many of your lives might seem like you have a thousand pieces in front of you and you're like, how in the world am I supposed to put this all together? Well, thank the Lord that we have what we call the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, the Word of God that is written down how he wants to guide you through life, how he interacts with the people who he loves, how his Holy Spirit responds to faith, how he leads us and guides us, how we can figure out problems, how we can grow in love and peace and patience and kindness and all of those things listed as the fruit of the Spirit. And know this word does not guide us through every single decision you'll ever have to make. It gives us the foundation that we need to live a life of overflow. The word of God says in Psalm 119 that his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Meaning this, as we stay tied into his word, we will know every single step we are supposed to take and we will not leave the path that the Lord has for us. How many of you could say amen to that? Here's the bottom line. If you take nothing else from today, this is what I'd like for you to realize is this. An overflow of God's word lays the foundation for an overflow of God's spirit. You know, just a few weeks ago, we had an evangelist in, and a lot of that week was focused on what the Holy Spirit was doing in that moment and hearing from the Spirit, asking Jesus to pour out his spirit. And those things are important, but without a foundation of the word, things will get off basis. We need the word to give us a foundation. We need to be filled with the word so then we can allow the Holy Spirit to teach us through his word and do everything he wants to do. So here's the foundation from 1 Thessalonians 2.13. It says this, we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which indeed is at work in you who believe. I want you to understand when you see a lowercase w, and many of your translations will follow this pattern. When there's a lowercase w, it's representing either the spoken word that was taught for thousands of years or the written word, how everything that was spoken about was then written down, or the letters that Paul wrote or any of the authors of the Bible wrote. It is the lowercase w, word of God. We know this as the Bible. When you see the capital W, Word of God. That is Jesus himself. He is the Word. And we'll preach on him next week, starting in John chapter 1, where it actually refers to him as that. Now, last December, this past December, I talked about why we believe the Word is true. There's no reason for us to show up every single week and quote verses and read from this if we don't actually believe it has the power to change our life and what is written in it is true. And my hope is, is this is as we go through this book of John, I hope that every single week there is someone from our church inviting someone who does not yet know Jesus who might not believe this word to be true. And we believe that the fruit that will happen in their life as they begin to trust the one called Jesus, they'll come out knowing what is in here is true. Amen? 
So we want people who don't know the Lord in this room, watching online. Listen, even John wrote at the end of the book, he said, I've written these things so that you can see and hear and experience everything that Jesus did and that you will believe. So it's a book that can take a a believer of many decades and take you deeper into the Lord. And it's also a great book to introduce people to who are just beginning to follow Jesus. But I talked about several reasons and I wanna review some of them today of why we as Christians believe the Bible to be true. First, the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 to 2,000 years by 40 different authors. Now, there's no way by happenstance or by chance you're going to take over 1,500 or 2,000 years, 40 different people, 66 different books, and have one message all the same. It's just not gonna happen, folks. We believe that God inspired every word that was written in the Bible, even though humans were the ones who wrote it. One of the most remarkable qualities about the Bible is the complete unity of this overall message. So many authors, so many years, so many different topics, and yet the overall message of the Bible remains clear. So we have this Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament talks about these different covenants and relationships that God desired to have with his people. It started with the nation of Israel, the Jewish people that we know. The New Testament talks about Jesus' life and ministry, death and resurrection, and eventually the early church and all the way to the final judgment where we will be with him forever in the new heaven, the new earth, specifically the new Jerusalem. Now in scripture, there are over 2,500 predictions that were made. They're called prophecies. 2,000 of them have already occurred. 500 of them, either whether it's a theologian or a historian would say, these are future events that have yet to happen. Now listen, these ones that have occurred, you could take a non-Christian and say, this is what it says in this verse. This is what happened in history. A non-Christian could actually validate that these prophecies have taken place and continue to take place. Another way of why we believe the Bible to be true is this. You compare Christian and non-Christian literature across the ages. There's no other piece of literature in all of history that has more accurate manuscripts copied over the centuries. In fact, there are over 24,000, not 240, not 2,400, 24,000 manuscripts which include pieces of the Bible from all over the ancient world. This means that the Bible has kept its integrity and reliability over all these years. How many of you know if it was spewing lies and talking about people or events that never existed, eventually somebody, like thousands of people, would get together and say, this isn't true, this has to stop. And yet time after time after time, it gets copied almost exactly the same. Some of you might know about the Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered in 1946 that go back. They found documents from uh, all the way back to 300 BC. In fact, every book in the Old Testament, except for the book of Esther, was discovered in the Dead Sea Scrolls, validating once again the reality of what happened. Another way that we can tell the Bible is true is from archaeological evidence like what was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls that supports the events, the locations, the writings, the artifacts, all these things. As they continue to dig into the earth, they continue to find things that validate Scripture, not once finding something that would refute it. How many have heard of the Rosetta Stone before? 
It's not biblical or Christian in nature, but its discovery actually helped us unlock how to read hieroglyphics. Before that, we didn't understand. So after we have this understanding, now you can actually find in Egyptian hieroglyphics, time and time again, actually validate what Scripture had already written. You can't make this stuff up, folks. Another way, too, if you, if you like literature and you like uh, just different readings outside of the Bible, you can find not just a few, but you can find many authors that were writing along the same period of time in the same region. They were not Christian. They were not trying to match the Bible. They're simply telling what is happening in history that, again, once again, validates the people, the places, and the events happening in Scripture. These are just a few of the reasons why we preach from this word. Just a few of the reasons of why we believe this is authored through men, but by God, and that it has the power to change our lives. We open this thing up, and we begin to read it, and we begin to ingest it, we begin to meditate on it, and we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we're reading it, and that is how we turn into the image of Christ that he wants us in. Amen? So what I want to do is talk to you here from several different passages I'm going to try to tie these together to simply stir up your desire to be in the Word more this year than you have ever before. More does not mean always more minutes. More means more intentional, more focus, more expectation, more faith that while you're in this Word, it will change your life. I'm going to start Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is alive and active. Say that, alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing. Say penetrates, say dividing. Soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges, say judges, the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So this word of God, it's the lowercase w here. Remember, whenever Hebrews was being written, it wasn't a part of the Bible. So they're either referring to Old Testament scriptures or what is being spoken, okay? So as Paul's actually writing this, if you look back at the first several verses of chapter four, he's actually referring back to Old Testament scriptures. And what he's doing is making it clear that this message to his hearers, the Hebrews of that day, that it was still important to recognize that even though those words were written thousands of years before, it was still alive and active. How is that true? It's because when God speaks, things come alive. When God speaks, worlds are created. When God speaks, hearts are changed. When God speaks, minds begin to repent. When God speaks, things happen. The kingdom of God comes. Now this is the awesome thing. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his spirit. But I'm telling you, if you're not in his word first, you won't know how to discern the voice of the Spirit. So it's alive and it's active. Now it says here, I like this picture a lot, that he's talking about this word. Again, the lowercase w, so it was spoken and then written, that it's sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating. Now when he's talking about even to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, what he's talking about is the most inner part of who you are. It's saying the word of God wants to penetrate deeply into your life. Separating soul and spirit. What's soul? Your mind, your will, your emotions, your flesh. It's the things that you want to see happen. What you desire. What's in your mind. Your motives. What's the spirit? It's the things of God. 
So what he's saying is, is this, when you open this word and it's alive and active in your life, it will begin to teach you and educate you of what is of the Lord and what is of your own flesh, what needs to be exalted and what needs to be surrendered. And that is where it can go deep and penetrate in your life. So much so that it becomes your judge and not in a bad way. When we hear the word judge, we think, oh, I don't want judge. I don't want judge. Listen, this word is able to discern its own written words and the voice of the Lord speaking, what your motives are, the attitudes of your heart. Right? You might say, well, that that doesn't feel comfortable. Listen, it's for your best. Right? If you want to get out of the way and let Jesus and the Holy Spirit flow through you, then you should want all of your motives, all of your selfishness, all of your own ideas out of the way. Let Holy Spirit speak to you so that your thoughts become his thoughts. Amen? I want you to let the word do the work. Remember that the word does the work. The word does the work. The word is the thing that's penetrating into your soul and spirit. The word is what is causing your mind to be renewed. The word is what's giving you truth to be free from things. The word is doing the work. In fact, Jesus, we'll get to this in about 40 weeks from now, when Jesus is teaching in John chapter 15, and he's talking about the pruning and the cutting off of dead branches, and it's like, oh my goodness, it sounds painful. And some Christians mistakenly believe, well, my car broke down and my furnace broke down and I got in an accident, so God's trying to prune me. And they blame the bad things on God. No, that's not God. That might just be life. It might be because you haven't taken care of your car. I don't know what, maybe the filter's dirty, right? Maybe your filter's just dirty. Oh, God's trying to teach me a lesson. No, Jesus said to his disciples, you are already clean, meaning pruned, the dead stuff cut off because of the word I spoke to you. You wanna be pruned? Get in the word. You wanna be clean? Get in the word. Know the word. Understand the word. Let it affect your life until you're changed. Don't wait for your car to break down and blame it on God. Give me a break. Like, why are we waiting for disaster to strike? Get clean now. You have a choice every day to open this and let the Lord speak to you through it. If we're not in this word, we are not allowing the Lord to perform spiritual surgery on us. Think about this. Every day he wants to take the word sharper than a double-edged sword and penetrate deeply and separate, take out, cut out, all these things. Think about every day, you skip, you are literally missing an opportunity for the Lord to perform spiritual surgery. But every day you're in it, you give an opportunity, Lord, speak to me again through your word and through your spirit. Listen, this morning as I was praying through this, I feel like the Lord just wants this. This is a warning. This is an encouragement. This is a a strongest recommendation to our teenagers And to our young adults, you can qualify whether you're a young adult or not, is this. I beg you, as your pastor, to not make decisions about dating, marriage, career, college. I'll just pick on those four. If you are not in the word regularly, do not 
Make a decision about who you're going to show your affections to, who you're gonna turn your heart over to if you don't even understand what's going on in this word. Don't make a decision of where your entire life is about to go, whether it's college or career, whether you're gonna move somewhere, if you're not even letting the Lord speak to you. I'm begging you, if there is an important decision before you, teenager or college student, and you're not in this word, put that decision on pause for 30 days. Give the Lord 30 days and say, I'm gonna back up, I'm not making the decision, and I'm gonna get in the word. And don't do this. Don't Google, how do I know who I'm supposed to marry? And let verses pop up. You'll be reading them out of context. You're like, that one's good, and not that one, not that one. That one's good. I say yes. (laughs) Don't do that. Open the book of John, Ephesians, Colossians, somewhere. Not on any purpose. Just open this word. I guarantee you, If you let this word penetrate deep into your soul and spirit, he will speak to you. And it might be something that has nothing to do with college because college really isn't in here. Your career, career's not really in here. It might not have anything to do with it. And you're like, oh, when Jesus interacted with this guy like this, he did it this way and this. I'm supposed to do this with my life. And the Lord's gonna speak. You have to give him a chance. Overflow with this thing and you will overflow with the spirit. You gotta give him a chance. Give them 30 days. Don't make the decision. I don't know why it's so strong in my heart. Be bold enough to not make the decision when everybody else is forcing you to. Get in this word. I'm moving on. Isaiah 55. I really like the image here as well that the Lord's speaking through Isaiah, starting at verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, And do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth, which we now have written. It will not return to me empty. Many of your translations say that the word of God will not return void, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. These are some powerful verses, folks. Just like the rain comes down to saturate that earth so there's a harvest, there's seeds for a future harvest, and there's bread to eat. He's saying, as my word is going forth, it has a purpose. I want you to think about this. Every time you read the Bible, the Lord has a divine purpose for that moment. And you know what his purpose isn't? It isn't so you check a box. It isn't so you just complete your reading for the day so you can move on. It isn't so you can look spiritual. It isn't so you can go to God and say, I read your word. His purpose is to transform your life. Think about that. Every time you open this book, it's as if you have a divine appointment with your creator. I don't understand it. It's boring. It's You are meeting with your creator. If you don't understand it, get to another book. Like Leviticus can get weird, I admit it. Right, there's some stuff that you're like, uh, no, don't wanna do that. Hang out with us, 10 months in John. Give John a chance, right? Could you imagine that? You open this and you're like, God has a specific purpose for me that he didn't have yesterday, he won't have today, or he won't have tomorrow, today. Spiritual surgery is about to happen. He's about to penetrate into my soul and spirit with what's written by the Holy Spirit will reveal things to you. 
This is my encouragement. Get a Bible that you're willing to write in, highlight in, take notes in, just make it, make it messy. If you read on your iPad or your computer or your iPhone, I would recommend uh, uh, the Bible app. It's called Version. It's very easy to use, but you click on a verse or two verses or three verses, you can highlight it different colors. You can click on that same verse and it'll say, make a note. You can click on note and you can write notes. I mean, you can create a history with God right on your iPad or your iPhone. Do something to begin to relate with God as he has a divine moment for you. Can you say amen? Here goes four actions of God's word in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. Now, Paul's writing to Timothy here. Was the New Testament written yet? Say no. No, did Paul know that as he was writing this message to Timothy, it was going to be in scripture someday? No. So he's obviously writing about the Old Testament here. So understand context, and now also understand we as Christians agree in the totality of this book called Scripture. So though this context is specific to the Old Testament, we also believe that all Scripture, old and new, is God-breathed. Meaning this, though man wrote it, God's breath led man. God's breath, that ruhah of God, spoke to man and allowed him to pen the words that we read today. So all Scripture is God-breathed, and we have four actions. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And as these four things take place, it says that the servant of God, that's us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, I don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't know who I'm supposed to love and marry. I don't know where I'm supposed to go to college. I don't know where I'm supposed to move. There's all these questions in life. Where am I supposed to serve in the church? How should I make disciples? Should I lead a group? What's God's will for my life? There's all these questions, and yet in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, when you get in this word, you will be thoroughly equipped. Not a little bit trained, not a little master class and you're done. Thoroughly equipped for every single good work that he has for you. Trying to change the world if you're not in the word. Right? You want to change the world for Jesus. Advance his kingdom everywhere you go. Let's start with the word. Let's get in the word. Let's understand the word. Let's get help understanding the word. And let's obey this word. There's four areas. First one's teaching. That literally means an education that brings revelation. What it means is we're not supposed to learn the word for head knowledge. We're supposed to learn the word in our head until it hits our heart. You know, I call it the aha moment. The light bulb goes off. You're reading, reading, reading. You're like, okay, okay, that's good. It's good, it's good. Can't really relate to that. It's good, it's good. Whoa, whoa. Never saw it like that before. Take your pen out. Take your highlighter out and start marking your Bible. Start highlighting your phone. Whatever you need to do as the Lord is turning education into revelation, mark it down. Go to school with the Lord. You with me? Three of you are, and I appreciate that. I really do. Rebuking. This is always a fun one, right? How many Christians wake up in the morning and say, Lord, as I look at your word today, rebuke me in Jesus' name. That word rebuking means to defend the faith from false doctrines. I was like, okay, this is good. 
I'm looking at like three other resources. I'm like, I don't like what this, this one means, so I'm going to check here. I didn't like how it said. So at least three different places I saw this definition, biblical definition of rebuking. To criticize someone who is teaching wrongly or living with wrong beliefs so they repent and believe correctly. So you might not like to be rebuked. So, well, pastor, you tell us, don't judge people. We're not supposed to criticize each other. We're not supposed to point out each other's faults. It's not what the word says. The word says the Bible will do the rebuking. Get in the word, invite him to cut you deeply, and he will rebuke you with his his mercy. Right? Why would you want to avoid being rebuked and then live with bad doctrine your whole life? Consider that. Either be rebuked by the word through the Holy Spirit or continue to live in false beliefs down the wrong path. I would much rather have this stick out and say, oh, that hurts. Very uncomfortable. And thank you, Lord, for showing it to me. The next one is correcting. This is the only place that this word is used in the New Testament. And it means to restore to a better state. So cool, none of us like to be corrected either. But when the word comes through the grace of the Holy Spirit and corrects us, what he's doing is restoring us to a better state. He's straightening up our spiritual posture so we can head in the right direction. The last one is training in righteousness. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that when we give our life to Jesus, that we become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's our position, okay? Now, if you lived like a really bad life up to your point in Christ, and now you're born again, you know you're headed to heaven, you're a child of God, accepted, loved, forgiven. But you don't know how to live righteously yet. Do you guys understand that? So this training in righteousness so that you would be thoroughly equipped for every good work, this word teaches us how to live out our position in Christ. It teaches us who we are in Christ, who Christ is in us, who Christ is in general, so we can learn to follow him and surrender ourselves and become more like him every single day. This is a training manual. As much as it is a love letter, as much as it is an explanation, different covenants that God has with us, all these things are wrapped up into this book. If you think about it, Moses was given up and he would one day be called to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And you know what the Lord did? The Lord placed him in the hands of a princess who would raise him in Pharaoh's palace. So Moses, a Jew, is trained in royalty, trained in righteousness, all the way to the point where he led millions of people out of exile and into freedom. Some of the most amazing miracles Scripture has seen. If Moses needs that pre-Jesus, I need this in 2023. I need to be trained in righteousness. Amen? Adam, you can come up and just play behind me if you don't mind, please. I want to read two more scriptures to you as we close up today. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, it says, To the Jews who believed him, which we can apply for this now too, anybody that believes him, it says there's no more Jew or Gentile, slave or free man, male or female, it's Christian or not. You're either following Jesus or you're not. So the Jews that believed him, this is what Jesus said. If you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So clean, so clear, right? Cuts out all the gray space. If you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And if you're really my disciples, then you're going to know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
That word hold on there means to continuously grip, never letting go. It's not, I held on, I raised my hand in a service. I got discipled for 12 weeks and now I'm good. It's not what it means. It means hold on, keep holding on tightly without letting go. You'll see a picture of this on the screen, but who remember, I grew up in the 90s. I don't know if anybody else knows these things. They're now called the magic wigglers. I don't know what they were called before. My sister and I had an, an orange one. Basically, it's just a toy that you can't hold on to easily. So eventually, if you just squeeze it a little bit, it just lets go. You know what the Lord showed me as I was preparing my message? I think of toys when I was eight, when I'm writing messages. I don't know why. What I was thinking of is life is like this. This is absolutely life, right? It's slippery, it's slimy. The devil wants you to know you're never gonna get a grip, right? Parents are yelling at you, get a grip! And the devil's like, you're never gonna get a grip. So you just keep playing with this thing and playing with this thing, it keeps falling out, falling out. But I mastered it. Watch this. Two hands on it, eyes on it, focus, squeeze hard and don't let go. This is what Jesus is telling you to do. So you're playing with this word and it's a little hobby, eventually you're gonna let go. Eventually it's gonna slip through your fingers. You're gonna be all the way over here in life wondering why that thing isn't active in your life. And Jesus is saying, he's not saying to raise your hand in a service. He's not saying repeat a magical prayer. Are you with me? He's not saying sign up for a group for 12 weeks and then go off on your own way. He's saying, if you really wanna be my disciple, hold on. Hold on, hold on to the word and it will reveal truth to you and the truth will set you free. I said this in first service and I, don't, and I don't say it to embarrass Troy or Satina at all, but I value how they approach deliverance ministry because it's all based on the word. You hear the word deliverance ministry in church, you're like, oh, it's about to get weird. You know, all this stuff's happening. Listen, I met with them right? We would inter inter exchange notes before you ever taught any of those classes here. There's so much word involved in this process where she even tells, they'll tell people, I'm not delivering you. Like I'm not setting you free. You have to be in the word. Because you know what? Satina and Troy or Sue's ministry beyond survival or the altar team, they're not around you all the time. But you hide that word in your heart as it says in Psalm 119. I'm gonna hide the word in my heart so that I may not sin against God. You want a foolproof way to never backslide? Hide this word in your heart and hold on tight to it. Hold on tight. Last verse I wanna read and then we'll close up here is from 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. You're like, wait a minute, Kurt, you just told me that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ when I give my life to Jesus. Absolutely. You're forgiven, right? You're righteous. You're holy. You're accepted. That's your position. And yet the instruction to Timothy was do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Therese used to tell the kids when they were growing up, do your best and God will do the rest. So God has already done the rest for you it's still up to us to walk with the Spirit and do our best. So how do, we, how do we do our best in this? It says a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the Word of God or the Word of truth. So how do we correctly handle the Word of truth? I just have five very 
practical approaches. And we'll talk about these things as we go through the book of John. If this is new to you and you're like, ah, the word just confuses me, I'm not in it a lot. Here goes some things to get you started. Is read God's word daily. I don't care if it's a few verses, if it's a section, if it's a chapter, if you have time and you're in several chapters, some of you are on uh, reading plans. And I've learned from a lot of you that say, I cannot do a reading plan. I just feel like uh, I'm just on this wheel and I don't take time. Then just camp out on a few verses. The Lord might keep you there for weeks. This isn't a race. This is a relationship between you and him. So get in this thing daily. Oh, I only have a couple minutes. Well, I have this and this. Don't, I'm not, I'm not giving you time limits. I'm not putting you in bondage. I'm saying if you believe this thing is gonna change your life, get into it every day. If you miss a day, should you feel guilty? No, just get into it the next day. Next thing is use a study Bible with notes and cross-references. I grew a a ton as a teenager with it. I had a a study Bible. It had some notes on the side. You can never guarantee if if that person has the exact theology that you have, but 99% of the time, it'll be good, solid, basic Christian theology. I love a Bible with cross-references, which is when you're reading on the side, it'll say, okay, this John chapter three, verse 25, it also relates to something in Matthew and Revelation. And it really helps you start to see the totality of God's word. Ask the same questions. You might say, well, I wanna ask different questions and keep it fresh. Part of discipleship, watch how Jesus interacted with disciples. Same stuff, different scenarios, but same way he led them over and over again. So we're gonna use something called the Bible discovery uh, method. If you want to use it, it'll be on our website. It's the four, same four questions every time you look at God's word and it just gives you a great foundation for the Holy Spirit to speak to you outside of those questions. Take notes. I've said it a couple times, right? Highlight, write in your Bible, write dates down, write what the Lord's telling you. If I go back to my old Bible, and I look at things, especially in Ephesians. I was all over Ephesians as a teenager. It spoke a lot about identity and so on. I will read things that I'm like, 30 years later, I'm not sure I agree exactly with what I wrote. Am I gonna scratch it out and be like, no, I'm wrong. No, I might put a date on it, like today's date, and this is what I, this is what I have revelation for. It's a journey. It's a relationship. This is not an exact science. Are you with me? So chill out, write in your Bible. God's not gonna be offended, all right? Take some notes. Last thing is to learn from a a commentary. I'm not talking about learning Greek and Hebrew. You can if you want to. But we're going to have just, we're going to offer one trusted, spirit-filled commentary to go through the book of John. Has like a couple sentences for every few verses where it's like, I just don't even know where to turn. We'll at least give you one suggestion where you could take one other person's insight into these verses. Why don't you stand at this time? As we close, I will just ask, if you don't mind just bowing your heads for just a moment, the reason why I ask you to do that is just to close yourself off so you're not thinking about what other people are doing. You can close your eyes if you'd like to. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you to ask yourself if the one verse that Jesus read, that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We gotta start with this. You have to start with being set free from your sins by knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's the very first thing. You'll know the truth for as much as you can understand it, that Jesus came, he died for your sins, he was buried in a grave, and then he came back to life to give you eternal life. So he died for your sins and came back to life so you could have eternal life. For as much as you understand that, 
There had to have been a time or a season of time where you remember believing in that and starting to follow Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. If you have not ever turned away from what we call the old man or the sinful person and started following Jesus, then that part of the truth has never set you free. You need to be free from your sin, free from that bondage of the enemy, and then he will help you grow within his kingdom. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you are in this room and you don't remember a season or a specific time when you've done that, where you've allowed that one truth of Jesus becoming your Lord to set you free, and you wanna take the very first steps, or you wanna get back on the path where that lamp and that light can shine the way and you wanna continue to follow Jesus, whether it's your first time or you've been far away and you wanna come back to Jesus today, I want you to raise your hand and I want you to look up at me and I wanna be able to pray with you and celebrate. Is there anybody in this room that wants to make that decision for the first time or you wanna come back to the Lord? Just raise your hand and look up to me. Thank you. can look up at me at this time. So as a pastor, there's a tension in my heart in these moments, if I can be very, very honest. The good side is, it's like, this is awesome. There's several hundred people in this room today that all know Jesus, right? Following Jesus and so on. But the tension in my heart is there's hundreds of people in this room that know Jesus that can be bringing people that don't know Jesus so that they can be set free, right? So there's this tension yes, I want to be together with believers. But my heart yearns more than ever before in my ministry to see people come to be set free from an eternity of hell, of torment, of separation from God. So this is the question just to simply ask yourself as we close in prayer. Who, Lord, have you already put in my life? Where I don't have to fake it. I don't have to create some weird testimony or anything. Who have you already placed in my life that needs set free? Next week would be a great week to bring them as we begin, John. Amen? Yeah, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for every person in this room, every person online that can sit here and say, I have been set free of my sins. God, we celebrate that. We love that idea. We love that idea to know we are at home with Jesus, that we have a home with you forever and ever. Nothing can replace that assurance and confidence. And yet at the same time, Lord, you have placed people in our lives that desperately need to hear this word, that desperately need to be set free from the path that they are on. Show us who they are. Give us boldness to bring them into the house or give us boldness to share it in our workplaces and in our community. Father, we believe that through this gospel of John, you will set many free in the year 2023. We thank you for what you're already doing and for what you will do. In Jesus' name we pray. Can you say amen? Amen. Hey, listen, I don't want anybody to leave that does need prayer. So I'll just ask our altar team just to come forward for a few moments, see if anyone comes down. Any prayer need whatsoever, please join them for a time of prayer. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and go visit centralconnect.org for more information and media.